Hello, welcome. This is Reels in the Round. I am Ronan. At the, at, at the rectangle. Reels in the Round oh, at the rectangle. Oh, yes. Yeah. Reels at the Round. Reels at the Round. Reels in the Round at the rectangular table. Yeah, absolutely. And I am Ronan. I am Kirk. And today we watched... Oh, what? Before, before that, Kirk, Oh, okay. I'm going to ask you a question. Hit me. I mean, don't. That might hurt. But like, <laughs> in general, you may ask a question. Why am I wearing this green button down? No. <laughs> No, no, no. I thought you looked uncategorically nice today. I don't know, Ronan. Why are you wearing a green button down? <clears throat> Tomorrow is St. Patrick's Day, not today. Oh, but got it. <laughs> got it. So, yes, viewers, happy St. Patrick's Day. Happy St. Patrick's Day. And for everyone that's listening, or listening on Spotify or wherever you're listening, Kirk is not wearing any green. I will kill you. <laughs> Just letting you know how this goes down. <laughs> Just that's how that is. Cool. So, so yeah, uh, if this wall that we're looking at right now is green. <laughs> okay. It belongs to me. That is my green wall. You're not wearing it. And I am within the room. <laughs> I am wearing this room. I fill this room. This room is my clothing. And it is green. Sure. Anyways, if you guys want to virtually pinch him, by all means. Nice. Yes. Virtual pinching is allowed. <laughs> Okay. Okay. But yeah, anyways, this week we watched Traffic. We did. With a C. Traffic with a C. Traffic with a C. I did uh, not know that Traffic with a K is that you were yeah. the one that informed me. But let's, start, let's start further back on this. So tell okay. me about Traffic. When did it come out? In 2000. You know what was great about the year 2000? That I wasn't born? Yes. That I wasn't alive? Other than that? <laughs> I mean, yeah, those were the days. <laughs> but no, what else was great about the year 2000? That is the year that I graduated from high school. Okay. This, uh, this movie came out my senior year, uh, the year I graduated high school. Yeah. Nice. So wh- why, why did we, uh, let's, let's walk through it. So okay. why, are, why did we watch Traffic this week? A couple of different reasons. Color balance. It's the big one. Like, so we've been on <laughs> noir. We've been on mm-hmm. noir in general. We've watched a lot of different noirs over the last few weeks. Yep. Um, this film's a neo-noir, as many of the ones we were watching are, um, it's a uh, year 2000, so it's a little earlier than the other ones we did, which was like five mm-hmm. and six and seven. Uh, it's a little earlier, but it's that was loud. I should probably do that. Um, but this one is really interesting because, unlike you know, film noir back in the old days was black and white and high contrast, mm-hmm. and then in the newer ones, the we watched Lucky Number Eleven, we watched Brick, we watched Kiss, Ola- Kiss Bang Bang, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. They were still high contrast, but they were usually super saturated colors and mm-hmm. fun. Yep. And still high contrast in lighting. Steven Soderbergh in this film did an interesting thing with, as you just mentioned, color balance. I know what he did and why he did it and how he did it, but this was your first time seeing it, and I would love to hear your reaction. Did you see all the stuff I was telling you to look for? Uh, So there's a lot of yellows, a lot of blues that just encompassed the scene in many different scenes. Uh... I, I don't know why he chose to do those to say. You said you. I do, but we'll get okay. to that. I, I mean, I have some, maybe some, op- like opinions or Let's reasons. Talk about why? Okay. Uh, I'm just gonna go with the blue, Kay. the over blue. I don't know if this is correct. You're probably gonna say it isn't. Nah. There's, for the record, in this kind of stuff, there's very rarely a right answer. I see. The, the I mean, it's always. Because someone thought it was a good idea. <laughs> um, 
That's not what I was going to say. Cool. But What was you going to say? I was going to say because it was kind of like sad. Yes. In a way. Because this, this person like in government power trying to take like win the fight with the drug war. Yep. His daughter yep. is on the opposition side. Correct. And every time the scene was blue, it was either him or his daughter. Really, really, I'm very impressed right now because that is true. That's absolutely true. And what's interesting is, is there's a few times in in, in those interchanges, mm-hmm. and I didn't watch it with you today, as you, yeah. you know. Uh, so a lot of this is coming from memory. I mean, I have seen the film several times, but there's a couple of times in those scenes where the scene was really blue, and they're talking, and he'll turn on a light, and the light from it goes very green, very yellow, and it talks about that. That is the changing between the two worlds. Like he'll tur- he'll start it. talking about work and turn on a light, and it starts to shine in a different light. Mm-hmm. And as I explained when we've had this conversation last week um, that kind of turned this movie towards what we were going to be w- uh, watching today, good gosh, um, is what they were doing is they were using the color balances wrong. This, yeah. is, this film was shot back when we were still shooting in film and they were using tungsten film and using HMI lights and shooting an H- uh, daylight film and using tungsten lights and that makes the film go all sorts of crazy. And they did that to make us feel like you said, this kind of super saturated yellow, this mm-hmm. deep blue. We see that a little bit nowadays in, with video cameras, but even now video cameras have what's called auto white balance. Yeah. They mostly yeah. fix for it. But no, we, we see that a lot with playing the way the colors work. But I think it's really interesting that you noticed, uh, that you picked up on when the colors were the colors and why. Now, the yellow, I'm not exactly sure, except for the fact that they were mainly in the desert, but I know that's most definitely not it. No, I mean, and you're not actually wrong. Is It It was, It was. it's gritty. It, it feels hot. It feels mm. muggy. It feels like, yes, this, this took place in the, in the Mexican drug cartels at the border. Mm-hmm. The yellow, at least, I mean, there might be a deeper reason, and I'm sure some film person has, has, has truly... Um, but the yellow and the blue, the blue was the sad and the corporate world. Lots of Michael yeah. Douglas when he was with the senators and other things. Lots of the blues were used when um, when dealing with the corporate and the American and the legal side. I see. And, and when we went to the cartel side and the enforcement side, things just got grungy and gritty and yellow. And from my perspective, it just it was meant to make it look sickly. It was meant to make it look... I see. Hot, like to say, like we're looking down on them, or, or, yeah, or sure. you said sickly, I, sickly. No, I mean it was, it was, you know, or like not in good health. Right, okay. exactly, exactly. Okay. You know, your mom comes in, you're in, you know, you're pretending to be sick, and you're, <laughs> she's like, oh, honey, how do you, you, you look very peaked? You look, you know, you look yellow, you look jaundiced, you look washed out, you look, you know, there's, the colors were all wrong, and people looked gross, like yeah. everyone. I mean, they took people like Selma Hayek, who, again, she's she's one of the most beautiful women alive. And in 2000, she was one of the hottest actresses and she was gorgeous in the show. But they bathe her in this just like gross yellow light. Yeah. Um, lots of it. You know, this film, Catherine Zeta-Jones, Selma Hayek, Benicio Del Toro, Michael Douglas, Erica Christensen, Topher Grace. So, uh, the, the, the film, the, the cast of this movie, especially for the year 2000, was insane um what did you think of the plot the writing the shots tell me about your reactions okay i'm gonna start with the plot hit me so you were talking about like the two different worlds yep kind of yep in a way i didn't like that okay in a way i did because it because it seemed like i was following like two or three different storylines you absolutely were you were and like 
the main reason why I didn't like that I was following two diff- or two or three different storylines is the fact like we'll get like really good going on one of them. Something good is like you can feel something good is about to happen, and then it cuts to another one. Yep. Like, Are you really? not familiar with Grand Hotel plot lines? No. Have you ever seen the movie Love Actually? Nope. Okay, first off, fix that shit. <laughs> um, so back in the olden days of like. 30 years before I was born. So this mm-hmm. isn't like back in my day. Like this is way, there was a movie called The Grand Hotel. Okay. And The Grand Hotel um, is where we get the term The Grand Hotel plot line or micro plot lines or there's a lot of different things. But if you find old timers like me or older, we'll call them Grand Hotel plot lines. There's a couple of different younger things, but I still call them Grand Hotel. Okay. There was a movie called Holiday Inn. There's a movie called Grand Hotel, uh, The Grand Hotel. And it's where you s- set something around a place or around a thing. So like um, Love Actually is around Christmas. Okay. And it's around kind of a neighborhood in England. And so there's like I think six or seven stories in Love Actually. Mm-hmm. And they all intermingle. But none of them is the main story. None of them is the I number see. one. No one is the lead. They, they are like seven stories that are all interwoven and interconnected. This movie was not about Michael Douglas. This movie wasn't about Erica Christensen, his daughter. This movie wasn't about Topher Grace, her boyfriend, drug dealer. This movie mm-hmm. was not about Benicio Del Toro, a questionable cop. This movie was not about Selma Hayek, a drug lord mistress. This movie was not about any of the individuals. This movie was about traffic. It was about drug trafficking. I see. And if you would have, if you'd have told the story about Michael Douglas, mm-hmm. first off, politician movies suck. Yeah. Like, but this movie, so a Grand Hotel plotline originally set, it was all the things going on at the Grand Hotel. Mm-hmm. Um, or Love Actually, everything happening around Christmas in London and everything. This wasn't a story about a person. This wasn't even a story about a, 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 an arc, a thing, a, mm-hmm. a, traditional, a traditional story. A Grand Hotel plotline, or this, a micro, a micro plotlines, is... They tell lots of interrelated, interconnected vignettes as a way of bolstering up a single core concept. I, um, I guess this is by far not the first one to do it. It's by far not the last one to do yeah. it. It's the only one that I know of that's about drugs. Yeah. But, um, but that's interesting. So this is the first time you've ever seen that done. I'm not sure because I feel like I've seen other movies where there's like several plot lines. But... I don't know, I just don't like the fact how, like, something good was about to happen and then just switch the, to one of the other ones. Welcome to why I hated Game of Thrones. <laughs> Game of Thrones would be another example, though, by the way. Like, there's the, see, who's the yeah. lead, who's the, main, who's the main character of Game of Thrones? There is, there is a, depends there's, on the episode, depends on yeah. the season, depends on the arc. Like, you know, Daenerys and Jon Snow, in many, were very equal, but not, they weren't interconnected. The stories were all interconnected, yeah. but they were not a single story. It's the same concept. It's easier to do in TV because it's longer yeah. form. Um, but literally that's why I stopped watching in season two or three. Cause <laughs> I was like 80% of every episode is focusing on people that I hope die. Like not, I hope don't die. Like, man, yeah. why can't they die already so that I can get back to the people I care about. And so I stopped watching. I see. But interesting. Okay. Keep going. Another, th- Another thing I'm going to say is, uh, Soderbergh. Yeah. He did, he was the director and he was the DP. Yes. This is kind of a question formed to him more than anything. I'll see what I can do to answer it, yeah. Does he believe in a tripod? Okay. <laughs> no, I love it. No, that's a great question. So, 
What's really funny about that is, for the record, kindred spirits, you and I. Mm-hmm. Um, he was more or less. Uh, um, he was very early in the in the handy cam in the in, in the handheld movement, okay. pre in the '90s when I was first in film uh, in high school film cl- classes and I was taking different things like that. A shaky camera was a kiss of death. You couldn't use shaky camera. Yeah. The only people that used shaky camera was cops. Was which the show the reality see, show yeah. cops? Mm-hmm. Like no. Um, even you know whether it was a newsreel, it didn't matter. Shaky camera was kiss of death. Mm-hmm. Uh, reality TV, which was very, very new, very like in, yeah. in in our understanding of it now, was the only one who could really get away with it, and specifically cops because you're chasing someone. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Steven Soderbergh, and I love again. That's an amazing observation because I don't want to go so far as to say this was the first film. That's it, <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, it's not. But I was in film school, so I graduated high school in 2000, yep. and I went to film school from 2002 to 2006. Um, this film was still talked about as like the first real pioneer in what if, in in bridging that gap of reality TV, specifically cops, mm-hmm. specifically these gritty, raw reality shows and a cinematic film. Before that, there had been Steven Soderbergh in this film uh, specifically was one of the first people to kind of start playing with that line. I think that it hit critical mass about five, six years later with the Born Ultimate, Born, not Identity, might have been Identity. It was one of the Born movies, it was one of the first two, either Identity or Supremacy, mm-hmm. yeah. where, I'm pretty sure it was the second one, Supremacy, where it was so shaky, because they were trying to make it look that people were throwing up in the, the theaters and people were like really hating it. And it was like, st- what started with traffic kind of peaked in about 2007, mm-hmm. And that's when we started seeing a little bit more gimbals and like it kind of, yeah. the, the pendulum started swinging back. Um, but again, I'm really, really happy with you right now. <laughs> you are three for three of noticing, not just what I told, like you're picking yeah. out the things that I specifically was watch- wanting you to see this movie for. So Good. you noticed the the shaky camera, which was weird. You had a really, re- I mean, I'm, I'm impressed. You had a really good understanding of the color. Uh, and then the... Um, the storylines, back to back. The storylines, the 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 interesting, the interesting, the Grand Hotel plot lines. What else? Uh, let's see. Uh, one of the weird shots I'm going to point. Oh, I'm going to point out two weird shots. Okay. One of them is when Douglas, when Michael Douglas is yep. talking to the general the first time. Okay. Or like before he got to his, the position that he did. Okay. And like you see them talking in the room, you see a lot of the floor. That's another thing I noticed. Like, was it a shaky camera, or was it a still camera? I, I think it was still. Okay. But you saw a lot of the floor, and it was weird. Did you, did you see the top of people's heads, or did they cut them off? You, you saw the top of people's heads. So like you saw a little bit above, and you saw like a majority floor. It was when they were sitting down talking. Okay. In the office. Why would that be? I don't know. So there's a lot of different reasons. I don't, again, I don't have an answer for you. Okay. Um, DPs especially Steven Soderbergh, um, who I worked with on Ocean's 13. Uh, we're talking about visual storytelling. Your writer tells the story one way, your director tells the story another way, your DP tells the story. All three are storytellers, and they're mm-hmm. doing it in Congress. In this one, Steven Soderbergh was the writer, the, the director and the DP. Yep. The actual answer is because he thought he, it looked good. <laughs> now, we can pretentiously start to go, well, the reason that he would do that is... So let's talk about it. Why would you... Were the people big in the frame or small in the frame? 
they're mainly small, I do believe. Right. So, I mean, if, if, if you didn't cut them off, so it's not that the camera was too low. It, it gave them headroom. Yeah. They were at the top of the frame, but it had a lot of floor. Mm-hmm. So is that to make them look insignificant? Or is the fact that he framed them at the top, like insignificant, you'd be centered like huge, but in the middle, he put them he put them at the top and small. Like an hierarch- hierarchy? Yeah. Is in it, a way? Is it that they... Again, and I'm being pretentious on purpose. The answer is there's no good reason. Yeah. But, you know, you've learned the rule of thirds. You understand mm-hmm. general composition. Yeah. And you're finding a reason. You, and I will tell you right now that Steven Soderbergh is one of the best DPs. That, uh, he's amazing. So there was a reason. Now, I don't want to make that sound like DPs, even good ones, always make the right decision. This <laughs> is like, it was right because Soderbergh said it was so. It's not, not what I'm saying at all. Yeah. But there's no way it was an accident. So what could it mean? Is it that he wants to make them look small? Is it that is the reason he put them at the top of the screen to make them feel like they feel they're so much higher than everyone else? Is it that I'm overthinking this and he just <laughs> really liked the look of it? Well, I don't know, but these are all valid questions. Or if you wanted to be like almost like an onlooker. Or it's a voyeuristic. It's yeah. from far away. Sure. Sure. None of these is a wrong answer. What was the other shot? The other shot was like uh, not only top down, but down up of the helicopter as it was landing. So it was from underneath looking straight Yes. Up. Okay. Or about. And it, it, I, I don't know. It was just weird. It was messing with my head. Okay. So <laughs> this one's hard to explain. Okay. And again, I'm wrong. Like it's yeah. not, it, it, anytime we're talking DP stuff, even on Mothman prophecies and other episodes where I was like, I had my really strong theories and like, clearly this is what they're doing. Yep. I'm just, I'm guessing. All art critique is is guessing. Mm-hmm. But I will say, especially around 2000, in and, and that's not just because that's my era of coming up. Really, from about 1997, 98, through, well, kind of present, but really through about 2008, for about 10 years, mm-hmm. the digital revolution started taking over and lots of, we were we were entering into, you know, the new Star Wars movies were digitizing things. Now, this movie wasn't digital at all, but we were entering this new thing that lots was changing, lots of technology was changing, and the visual idea, we had Moulin Rouge come out in 2000, four years early, we had uh, Mm -hmm. William Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet, also by Baz Luhrmann. We had lots of new and really crazy visual styles because technology was changing so fast that A, it was allowing for it, and B, because it was allowing for it over here, the people over here that weren't using it had to find really interesting ways to keep up. Yeah. So around that same era, you started seeing some really, really interesting things, specifically uh, established shots. We've all seen a plane take off and land yeah. a thousand times. We've all seen a helicopter take off and land 500 times. We've all seen a car, someone get in a car and drive away a dozen times. Mm-hmm. We've seen these common shots so often. So people, especially like Steven Soderbergh, started asking themselves, Oh, how can I change it up? We've all seen a plane take off. And so, like, um, I don't remember who did it all of a sudden. The Coen brothers. The Coen brothers started doing things like seeing the plane coming upside down and then falling it over so that the camera went overhead and and the camera flipped over top. People started doing things not just around aircraft, but around these common shots that all stories use, Mm -hmm. trying to find ways to do new ones and keep this, and and sometimes they were really cool, and sometimes they were not. Same thing in, in Kill Bill a few years after this. Um, 
he did a thing where he the camera picked up and he followed the person through the very obvious set because the camera went over the walls. And he showed that because it was just an interesting way of following the motion of so instead of mm-hmm. following through the door with the person, like he we went see all the time, over. he went over the set walls. And you're just like, that's an odd <laughs> choice. Yeah. Because it's just people creating and becoming interesting with their their communications. And it's a way to make the movie stand out. Right. Right. So I, I mean, see. and again, Steven Soderbergh, if you're watching, feel free to write in the comments what you were really thinking. But it's especially in this era, a lot of shots started being different and interesting, not poorly composed, just atypically composed. And we're using shaky camera because mm-hmm. why not? We're trying to right. find new ways to break up the cinematic language because digital was on the front forefront and it was making things cheaper, faster, easier. I'm not saying better for a reason. It was just making things different very fast. And people were innovating at a, like, like it was on clearance sale. I see. Yep. What else? I do like that response. Yeah. Does make sense. Uh, so I did do a little bit of research during the movie. Yes, you did. I don't know if you have or not. I've seen the movie a dozen times. But time. this time with History with Kirk. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. This movie. You want to talk about it? Yeah, I mean, I think, unfortunately, I just I just wasted it all. Like, this movie came out at a time, uh, yeah, I hadn't thought that you'd do this segment. or I would have <laughs> said, so pretend that everything I just said is now this movie came Steven Soderbergh is awesome just uh uh sex lies and videotape uh, oceans 8 9, uh, nine 11, 12, and 13. He also produced Oceans 8. He is, uh, he did Magic Mike and produced Magic Mike XXL. He is known for a very specific type of film. And I mean, era, he's he's a great filmmaker, mm-hmm. uh, truly, truly, truly great filmmaker. Big fan. Um, well, what I was mainly going on is actually like the writing. Because this film is actually based on, on an yeah. events, right? So I, you found that out for us. I, I, I don't know. I didn't know that the traffic is based on traffic. T R A F F I C is based on the TV miniseries Traffic. T R A F F I T R A F F I K. I can't spell. Shut up. Um, but I didn't know that. Oh, no, <clears throat> no. I, I actually I was talking about. Uh, Oh, never mind. So yeah, traffic with a K is actually uh, the writer, uh, Simone. Simon. Uh, Simon, what's his last name? You just oh. looked at it. It's Simon. I, I I can't remember all of a sudden. Simon Moore. Thank you. So uh, Simon Moore uh, wrote this movie. He also wrote Traffic with a K. This movie is based on Traffic with a K, even though this is Traffic with a C. Yep. Uh, Traffic with a K is almost the same thing, except not dealing with the Mexican cartel, except with uh, heroin or... Heroin. Yes. Uh, being transported from Afghanistan. Yep. So no, And then you were also telling me, which I thought was really interesting, that uh, the, the uh, 20th Century Fox said they, they were demanding that Harrison Ford play the Michael Douglas role and Cedar Sta- oh, Steven Soderbergh said no. Yeah, uh, said no. He he tried to go to different Hollywood productions. They all rejected the offer until USA Films came around and said yes, and they liked the idea. So, yeah, I, I mean, I can see Harrison Ford playing in this. I can too. I don't... I... 
I love Harrison Ford. Mm-hmm. I love Harrison Ford way more than Michael Douglas. <laughs> I have no love lost for Michael Douglas. I have nothing against Michael Douglas. Yeah. But um, I would say that they made the right choice. That this is a very good Michael Douglas role. I don't. I would. I don't know that Harrison Ford would have done as much. Well, no. Or, Harrison Ford crushes all his film. You know, he's done Tom uh, Clancy. I'm not saying uh, he Indiana can't play. Jones. No, but that's not this type of role. Oh, yeah. This film was a politician. Yeah. He's played politicians. He's played. He he's been in Sabrina. He's he has played this character before, mm-hmm. but he plays it. Michael Douglas. It was important that he was a little seedy. He. Let's see. And it, it, nah, seedy's not the right word. <laughs> Michael Douglas was not the clear good guy. He was the clear. No against drugs guy. Yeah. I think that Harrison Ford would have brought the wrong kind of dignity to the role. I see. Now I talked to you about it during the movie. I said, remind me, uh, Ryan, remind me oh, yeah, about the, the scene. Yep. The intelligence. Um, scene. specifically the scene when they were at the big cocktail party and he was walking around hobnobbing with everyone. Mm-hmm. Do you know the scene I'm talking about? Yes. Okay. So everyone in that scene was real except for Michael Douglas. What do you mean? They brought in, real people they 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 brought michael douglas to an actual state dinner oh and and many of the, many of the, there was extras and stuff like that yeah but many of the people he was talking to like uh, the actual politicians right and what's really uh. interesting and so he was doing it in character mm-hmm. and they were just delighted to to, <laughs> to meet michael douglas but yeah in his character and what's really interesting is in several interviews, they talked about how the questions he was asking and the ideas he was proposing. And he's like, well, what about X? And what about, they were all really impressed that, because it wasn't scripted. Oh, are you talking about also on the plane as well? No, when I'm talking specifically, okay. there was like a cocktail party. Yeah, um, okay. That, and so they only, only some of it made it into the movie, but like Michael Douglas really did in character, no script, go and meet people as himself as as the oh, character yeah. and talk to real politicians about these things on camera. And the politicians were saying that they were really impressed as that even though it was just a character, like he mm-hmm. was asking the right questions. He was asking, he was proposing things that weren't, that were really being proposed and or were not far fetched. Like that he, yeah. that he really was doing a very good job as the role. And I was very impressed by that. That's good. Yeah. I, I actually have to, I think I have to go back and watch that just to see what you mean by that. No, it was really, yeah, re, there's some behind the scenes stuff we can watch, but there's a real, lot of really cool stuff. Yeah. Nice. And since we're talking about Michael Douglas's, Michael Douglas and his character, shall we take a look at the awards that Traffic has won? Sure, let's do it. Okay. So, uh, Best Actor in Supporting Role with Del Toro. Yep. And it won? Yes. Cool. These are awards won. Uh, best Director, Steven Soderbergh. Hell Yeah. <laughs> Best writing screenplay based on material previously produced or published. Simon Moore. Yep. And then best film editing. Bye. Uh, Stephen Marone. I'm lost. Bottom. Yep. Marone. Yep. And actually, you uh, best writing. It was also with Stephen as well. Nice. Okay. No. And then nominations was Best Picture with Edward Zwick, Marshall Herskovich, yep. and Laura Bickford. Laura Bickford, okay. So actually, uh, Michael Douglas did not get any nominations or any awards, but... Uh, you know... <laughs> you think sometime- he should have? No, not particularly. I'm, I'm not saying that he did bad. Yeah. I'm saying that, you know, 
lots of good people don't get awards. I, again, Benicio del Toro did win. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did. He kind of fell off the face of the earth, man. I mean, he, we saw him in Guardian, <laughs> Guardians of the Galaxy, but he went from like a leading man. He was in Usual Suspects, which we watch. Yep. He was in this. He's he was a leading man for a few years, and then just kind of like disappeared. Um, until of course the Collector in, yeah. in the Marvel. No, so it's uh, it's all good things. I like this. I like this movie. Um, it's it's a fun movie. It's a great example of both neo noir of Steven Soderbergh kind of changing the f- cinematic language in the early two thousands. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's good. And then oh, people thought it was, like other people thought it was good too because uh, didn't do that bad in the in the box office. Oh, that's right. Budget forty six million, which is for the time highish, but not Transformers high. Like I mean, I see. yeah. yeah. Uh, made one hundred twenty four point one million in North America. Okay. And eighty three point four million in foreign markets. So a grand total of like two hundred and change. Yeah, which is not bad for profits. It's a two hundred percent. Yeah, four hundred percent. Yeah, I mean four yeah. times its money. Right. It's and then, awesome. And then on IMDb, got a seven point six rating. That's a little lower than I would have imagined, but okay. I would I would assume so too. I mean seventy six. You know, like again, if we go to the the, the, the hundred score, the, the high school grade, a seventy six. <laughs> I'd have given this an eight, with which is by my grading standards, uh, <laughs> a, a, a solid to low C. Um, I mm-hmm. would have given this a C plus, so like an eighty two, eighty three. I see. Maybe even a solid B eighty four, but like <laughs> C C minus. I think this movie's better than a C minus, but that's just me. Okay. And you want to tell us what we're going to be watching next week, or so okay. Black Swan it is for again. So I'm okay. a Darren, uh, that's a Darren Aronofsky film. I'm almost positive that's an Aronofsky. We can check right now. I'm pretty sure that's a Darren Aronofsky. I have not seen it. Uh, I was okay. a big Aronofsky fan for a few years. Uh, fan being respecter, not enjoyer. Because <laughs> Re- Requiem for a Dream is like watching a train wreck of your family and your dog. No, I've not seen it. It was uh, Myla Kunis and Natalie Portman. It mm-hmm. is apparently incredible. Uh, I have not seen it, so this will be fun. So okay. we will watch it. Let's do Black Fantastic. Swan next week. As always, I've been Kirk. And I've been Ronan. And this is Reels in the Round. At the Rectangle.